the event that some of our folks got to go to um, Friday night and um, most of the day Saturday, and so we're excited about that. Um, we're excited that um, some of our, our church family had the opportunity to go to Oklahoma and do a little um, disaster relief work up there. And um, I'll be honest with you folks, when we made that decision, we struggled a little bit because um, there's still a lot to do down here. And so, um, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm blessed and I'm grateful that we went and that God opened that door because um, um, as we got to work with the folks from Oklahoma, they have sent 19 teams down here since the flood. Um, to help us and so um, and I think um, it did some of their workers as good to see us as it was for us to go up and help them and um, of the, the the seven folks that went we had um, um, we, we had two folks that um, are still not back in their homes um, and I think it meant the world that folks from down here that still wasn't back on their feet were willing to go and, and it meant a lot to them and so um, I appreciate that opportunity I thank um, those that went and those that um, wanted to go but, but couldn't get off. Um, we always appreciate it. Um, it's not if there will be another disaster, it's when. So um, be, be ready, and um, we're grateful. And I, I know even now of um, a handicap ramp we need to um, take care of in the next month or so, and so um, you'll he'll hear more about that. So we, we appreciate that. Um, this morning, get your Bibles and open to the book of um, Colossians, Colossians, the third chapter. You know... Um, even now, our church is in on the, the preparations and the beginning stages of getting ready for the after. Um, you'll start seeing stuff show up and, and a few changes to the, to the stage as, as the weeks progress and as we get there. And You know, what, what transpires at rehearsals um, often is not acceptable for performance um, night. And, and so, now there's a lot of reasons for that. Sometimes it's simply because we're goofing off. We're goofing off and we're being silly and, and, and having a good time. And then other times it's because we wasn't really quite as prepared as we should have been. And I can remember um, getting ready for one of the last afters. Um, we have some ladies that at times sit on the front row and kind of keep us in, in place and on track. And uh, on one of those occasions, um, the remark was made, well, that was good enough for tonight, but um, that won't cut it for tomorrow. <laughs> And, and um, we, we understood exactly what that meant. We, we, we understood exactly what we were being told, that that wasn't our best. And um, only the best was acceptable when it came to presenting the gospel um, to, to the folks that would be there the next night. And, and so, you know, that's, that, that's part of the reality of what we're going to talk about when we talk about raising the bar um, this morning and raising the bar over the next um, weeks. And we, we need to understand that that's what God expects. You know, as a parent, um, one of the things, if, if you've ever had a child and, and, you, and you're a parent, you, you know what I'm talking about, you're, you're disappointed when your child doesn't do their best, um, when your child just doesn't give it their all, and you say, you could have done better, and, you know, um, God's that way. You know, I, we're God's children, and, and God's disappointed a lot of times when he looks down at his kids and says, you know, you're not doing your best. You really could do better at that. And, you know, and, and it doesn't mean his parents that were mad. It doesn't mean that he's mad. It just means that he's disappointed, that he knows um, we, we, we were better than that, and we chose not to do that. And so um, it just we're going to talk about raising the bar on, on, on the truth of the word and on prayer and on leadership and stewardship and worship and, 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 and a lot of things. But what we're going to talk about this morning kind of 
underpins them all. It's the, the, the basis that, that kind of goes under everything. And so it's important that we get this foundation down before we start. But even before we start to, to talk about um, raising the bar, I came to the understanding that I needed to make sure that we understood that God doesn't need us to raise the bar. You know, I think sometimes, well, if we don't do this, what's God's going to do? Well, I'm just here to tell you, folks, God doesn't need us to raise the bar. God can accomplish his will and his purpose in this world with or without us. So that's not the reason that we need to raise the bar. We're, we're not doing this for, for God so that God can get accomplished what he wants. He's going to get accomplished what he wants. The question is whether we're going to join him and whether we're going to be part of that. But, but he's going to, look, he does it for our benefit, not his. Yeah, that's right. He wants us to raise the bar for our benefit, not his. And, and you're going to see that as we talk about a lot of this. And when you raise the bar, we allow God to bless us in new and exciting ways. It opens the door of opportunity for God to um, do all that he desires to do in our lives. And I am 100% convinced that until we raise the bar, the joy, the peace, the contentment, the fulfillment, the financial security, so many of the things that we're looking for in this life, we're not going to find until we raise the bar. Because then God will bless us in ways that we cannot understand. I was told from a little age, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. I read this poem and it summed it up. It says, good, better, best. Never let it rest until your good is better and your better best. That's what God expects from his people. God expects as his children that we will put our best forward. Colossians, the third chapter Colossians chapter 3, you might want to keep that open because I'll read from it a couple times later, but I'm going to read on beginning at the 15th verse right now. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and to be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Heavenly Father, um, that is our prayer. That's our desire that, Father, today, that all we do, we would do the best we can because, Father, we realize um, we're doing it for you. Father, um, etch that in our hearts Father, just um, work that into our system where it just becomes the reality of every moment of every day that we live. It's in Jesus' name, amen. In the Old Testament, um, it talks about sacrifice. And in the Old Testament, at times, the Jewish people were called to make sacrifices. And there was always one thing that was very specific when sacrifices were to be made. Um, you couldn't just use any animal. You, you couldn't use any animal. It was to be completely... Um, the, the best animal you had, it was to be that, that perfect lamb, that, 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 that the bull without blemish. It was to be the best that you had. It was unacceptable in every way to, to give to God for sacrifice, um, a sickly animal or a deformed animal or to offer it to God. When God talks about sacrifice, he always refers about giving up something of value. If it doesn't cost anything, it's not a sacrifice. If it's not the best that you have to offer, it's not what God expects. The animal that was to be given was to be the perfect, not good, 
Not okay, but the best. The best that you had, the, that's what God required. God required the first fruits of the crops. Not what you had left over and after you filled the barn. God required that you give to him the first of what you gathered. That, that's always been God's message, that we give God the best. In the New Testament, Jesus makes no such written requirement. Jesus makes no such written requirement whatsoever when it comes to that issue. And I, I have wondered about that at times, and I have struggled with that at times in my life, but then I've come to the understanding that there's a logical explanation to it. There's a perfectly logical, I believe it's because Jesus expects his followers, his children, to go beyond the letter of the law. Most of the Old Testament is the law. It's what the law says. It's what the law required. Jesus comes and Jesus says, I'm beyond the law. Jesus says, I'm more than that. Jesus comes along and says, let me give it to you in simple terms. He says, let me tell you what the greatest commandment is. He says, the greatest commandment is love. He said, to love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, he says, is to love, to love who God is and to love what God has done for you. He says, when you love God, everything else will fall in place. He says, matter of fact, the next commandment is unlike. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, in your love, you will express your best. You know, for those that we love, we tend to give our best. You know, somebody you love, you're, you're not going to give them second fiddle stuff. You're going to give them what, the best that you have in whatever the circumstance may be. And that's what God expects. Jesus comes and he even says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to, but I came to fulfill the law. I came to fulfill the law. And I, I think too often in my life and too often in the life of a lot of folks that attend church, they read the Old Testament. And when there's parts of the Old Testament, particularly if you get to Leviticus and, and some of the law and Deuteronomy, and, and you say, well, I don't particularly like that. So, you know, that was the Old Testament stuff. I, we don't have that permission, folks. God, God never gave us permission to ignore that. You know, Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. And so, you know, yes, we live under grace. Amen. I'm, I'm grateful for grace, folks. We definitely live under grace. Jesus came to offer us grace. But since Jesus Christ gave his all, since Jesus Christ demonstrated love in the ultimate way, Jesus Christ gave his life, shed his blood so that we could have life, so that we could have forgiveness of sin, so that we could have all that. He showed us what real love was like, and he came and showed us grace. And I'm grateful for that. But don't you think in, in return he deserves our best? I, I mean, that just makes... And I think Jesus looked and says, why should I have to try to give you all? He says, understand what I've given. Understand how much the Father loves you. Understand what grace means. And he says, when you understand what grace means and you grasp the concept of love, he says, you're going to give your best. You're going to do your best. You're going to be the best. You know, those that wanted to live by the letter of the law, um, Often, Jesus wasn't real happy with those folks. Um, he called them Pharisees, and uh, on more than one occasion, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees. And a, a lot of them were keeping the letter of the law. They were keeping it right in line, but that's all they were doing. They never raised the bar. They never went above the minimum requirement, and Jesus was never pleased with those people. 
Jesus will never be with, pleased with us as his people until we're willing to raise the bar. So how do we do that in a practical way? How, how do we make that become, you know, we honor Christ when we give Christ our best 24, 365. Not what we do here on Sunday. Now, I mean, God desires that we come on Sunday and worship. And God, you know, what, what Miss Lisa talked about today with the guys went up, up in Oklahoma and demonstrated. I mean, that's, that's living the church. That's what God expects every day in our life. That, that's part of what it means to be a child of God. So how do we do that in a practical way? I want to talk about raising the bar in, in three simple areas in, in your life in, in a practical way this morning. The first thing I want to talk about is raising the bar in our homes. Raising the bar in our homes. Um, in that same passage down beginning at the 18th verse, 18th verse of the third chapter, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. He's talking about the home. He's talking about our family life. He's talking about who we are. It, it, it's real similar to what Paul writes in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. And so, look... Um, let me give you some practical things. Some of them I stole, some of them I made up, but, but I mean, they're, they're practical reality. And so, yeah, I can talk about the guys first because, you know, I'm one of us. And if, you know, if, if I offend my buddies and it'll be okay and the wives can laugh at us. But let me just tell you some practical things. Wives, if you want us to help us out and you want to raise the bar in your house, on your calendar, every house ought to have a calendar, and every calendar ought to have all the anniversaries and all the birthdays and all that stuff marked on the calendar. And then you ought to remind us a couple of months ahead of time, and the month ahead of time, and the week ahead of time, and the day ahead of time, because we don't remember. And so if you don't remind us, we're not going to remember. And so remind us. Don't wait till the day afterwards and then remind us. You know, that doesn't work. Remind us today before so that we can make sure that we take care of it. I mean, ask for what you want. Let me be crystal clear, ladies. We do not take hints. We don't take, we don't take subtle hints. We don't take obvious hints. Just say it. If you want it, tell us what it is. You know, if something can be interpreted two ways, I'm assure you we will interpret it the wrong way. We meant it the other way. I mean, that's just the way it is. Christopher Columbus did not need directions, and neither do we, okay? We may end up in the wrong continent, but that's okay. We'd rather end up there than get directions. I, you, know, you know, and don't ask us what we're thinking. <laughs> Unless you want to know about um, something about football, hunting, fishing, baseball, I mean, you know, monster trucks, don't ask us what we're thinking. Yeah, it's just... You know, I think about what Paul writes, and, and, and Paul really says, he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Look, we're going to raise the bar in our, our marriages and in our homes, guys. We've got to love our wife the way Christ loved his church. 
We've got to be willing to put our life on the line if that's what it takes. If it means working some more hours, it means that's what we've got to do. If it means going by and checking the calendar to see what's coming up, it means we need, it says we need to do all that we can do for our bride. And sometimes, guys, we're not doing it. We need to raise the bar. We, we need to step up. You know, I'm convinced that being unfaithful in marriage takes a great deal of time and effort and work and ingenuity. And I am 100% convinced if we would spend half that amount of time working on our relationship with our spouses, we would have the greatest marriages going. You know, it's, it's really that simple. Husbands and wives, it's high time for us to raise the bar on our marriages and in our homes. And you say, why is that so important? <laughs> because your kids are mimics. Regardless of what you may think and whatever you may, your best intention to teach them good manners, they're going to learn the manners that you um, show toward one another. And, and so just, it, it's important that you do it. You know, I read that marriage is like forming. And when I read that quote, um, I didn't quite get it. So, you know, I had to think about it. But, but marriage is like forming after I thought about it for a while. Because in, in it, it, marriage is like every day, every day on the farm. We, we just got back from Oklahoma. One of the places we, 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 we cleaned up, 640 acres. No, we didn't clean the whole 640 acres, thank goodness. But, uh, but then his brother owned 640 acres next door to them. And so, you know, there's a lot of cows out there and a lot of stuff to do every day. Every morning, the cows want to be fed. <laughs> Every day, the cows have to be milked. I mean, yeah, it's just the reality that the land has to be fertilized and tilled and planted and harvested and cut. I mean, there's stuff to do every day. Well, that's the way your marriage is. Every day, if you don't put something into it, you're not going to get um, out what you desire at some future point. You know, it, it's important, folks, that we raise the level and in, in our, our, the raise the bar in our marriages, you know, look, for all our married couples, for all our married couples, date your wife, spend time with her, make, um, you know, it's easy to allow schedules to take you in opposite directions, spend time with your children and your grandchildren, go out and eat, and I'm not talking about stopping at McDonald's on the way home, you, you know, um, watch a movie together, even if you don't like it, guys, I mean, you know, watch, watch a movie together, I mean, know your finances, Know your finances, and, and uh, I'm, one thing that, that, that frustrates um, your, your pastor at times when I'm, I'm doing counseling, I'll hear the statement, well, but they're better at it than I am. And I hear it from both, both ends. That's, that's not a sexist statement on either end. Sometimes it's a guy, sometimes it's a lady. But, you know, look, that's, you need to know what's going on in your finances in your home. You need to know so you can have an honest discussion about it. And so if you need to make some adjustments, you know what's coming in and what's going out and where it's going. You need to know your finances. Keep the past in the past and encourage one another. You know, I, I could go on and on, but the point is simple, folks. God expects our best. And God expects our best in our marriages. Even the best marriage could be better. Yeah. Practical areas. When, when you get to another practical area that he talks about, and it's, it's work. Work. When you get down to uh, verse 22, he says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and with reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, 
Work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. You know, I don't know if that's the way you thought about it when you went to work Friday. Did you realize when you went to work Friday that you didn't work for whatever the name of the company that you work for? You didn't even work for your own company if you own your own company. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says when you went to work Friday, you went to work for the Lord. I, I just, I think we forget that, folks. So it just begs to ask the question, what kind of worker are you? I mean, are you, at, I worked for Exxon for 19 and a half years, and I'm just telling you, at Exxon, we knew there was employees out there that knew the bare minimum they could do and never get in trouble. That they knew exactly where the line was, and that's exactly what they did every day. You know, and some of those folks claim to be Christians. And so how much influence do you think they had at work from a Christian perspective? You know, if that's what it meant to be a Christian. A Christian was one that did the bare minimum to get by. You know, I, I just think, folks, we, we you know, do, do you ever stop and think that the kind of worker you are has a direct reflection on Jesus Christ and his church? If you're goofing off at work, it gives people a bad impression about what it means to be a Christian. So when you go to work Monday, remember who you work for. Remember that you don't work for human masters. You work for the Lord himself. I was talking with a pastor friend um, this week about a business venture, and, and uh, that, that pastor was trying to make some decisions about where to go in the future and what direction it was taking. One of the directions would have um, meant that um, potentially um, um, the employment of, of, of young people and and in that conversation, and, and um, I was right there with this person, so I mean, you know, it's not just his thought. And the, it, We ended up on, on the, the conversation about how hard it is to get um, individuals today that really want to work. They really want to work. I mean, yeah, well, if you're standing there, they'll do what you tell them, you know, if you're standing there. But, I mean, if you're around the corner doing your part of the work and they're around the how you know, they're going to just put along and, you know, and and sadly, at some point, um, the, 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 the fellow pastor made the decision that they were going to go in a different direction. And, and so the reality is, folks, um, um, that was jobs that were lost. And, and, and I thought about um, that from a practical standpoint. And um, sometimes it's because of the workers that we are. Sometimes it's because of the workers that we have become that we can't find the job that we want. And that we can't find a job that we enjoy. And we can't find that good paying job. You know, I, remember what that verse says? It says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for man. Folks, if we raise the bar in the workplace, more people in the workplace will see Jesus Christ. And let me just give you a little PS on that one. Because... The end of it says, you will. It doesn't say you might, it not say it. It says you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Folks, it's time as the church that we raise the bar when we're at work. We need to raise the bar at the church. Yeah, I think we need to raise the bar in the church. Um, I, I read a book entitled, um, When God Builds the Church by Bob Russell. And um, to, to write the book, he visited a lot of churches in the United States over a couple of year period. 
and um, wrote down observations as he visited those churches. And his, his goal was to, to help churches um, become churches of excellence. And, and so as he wrote that, I just decided to, to, to read you a little section out of the book and then we'll talk about it. I visited a lot of churches in America. The experience for first-time visitor in many of those churches goes something like this. You drive up to the parking lot at 1040 Sunday morning. You assume you're five minutes early because the sign says service begins at 1045. You soon discover that the sign needs to be shamed to show the name of the new minister and that it definitely doesn't reflect the proper starting time for the service. The grass was cut yesterday, good thing, because um, it was badly needed. You can tell that because the lawn looks more like a hayfield waiting to be bailed. As you walk into the church, you're greeted with a melancholy good morning and handed a bulletin. The bulletin has a couple lines through it because the copier hadn't been serviced since, well, you know. You head towards the sanctuary and you take a seat. You wait 20 long minutes because the service doesn't actually begin on time. At about 11.02, that's 17 minutes later, yes, I was watching my watch, the piano player begins plunking down some cards on the piano. Someone shuffles up to the platform and says, please take your hymn books out and turn to page 150. We'll sing all five verses. The song leader has no musical talent, but he was the only one, I guess, courageous enough to get up in front of the crowd and try. After a couple of hymns, the song leader says either, now we're going to have a special by the girls' trio, and a girl gets up from the very back row and heads for the front in silence. Everyone stands and turns and watches as she walks to the front. About the same time she gets to the second row, a girl sitting on the third row stands up and heads toward the piano. The girl from the back row stops and says, Sue's sick today, so there's only two of us. Bear with us because we didn't have time to practice. They sing, give God, give your best to the master. At the end of the song, you feel like shouting, I could do better than that. But the crowd mumbles, amen. Or they simply just don't have any special music. Russell closes the chapter out when he talks about it. And he says that kind of service where people are giving less than their best, he says, doesn't bring honor to Jesus Christ. And he said it sure doesn't encourage those who have never met Jesus Christ to go back to the Lord's house. He said it's time that we raise the bar in the church. You know, as I, I thought about things to say for the church, and, and um, I, I read a number of articles, and one stated um, in an article, it was what happened at the church. And it went to talk about reasons that people gave um, for stopping to attend coming to church and reasons that people um, would not give a particular church a second um, opportunity when they were a guest of a church. And, and it, you know, some were good, some were bad. There, there were some comments that, um, um, that, that would reflect back and said, I'd go back to that church because. And so a lot of these are direct quotes. None of them have anything to do with our church. But, you know, I, I believe they're, they're real issues in, in the world, and it pertains to raising the bar in the church. And, you know, the, the ones we do a good job at bring glory to God. It ought to make us want to even do them better. And the ones we don't do a good job um, ought to make us ashamed and um, clearly ought to make us um, want to do better for God. So let me just talk about it in no particular order. But I, I did think the first one I put on the list because it was high on the list um, was amazing because I never would have thought it would have showed up. But they were all under the category of um, excellence. Things that um, churches um, either do excellent or they're not doing so. <laughs> the, the one was the cleaning ministry. You know, it says it's more important than you think. If there's paper lying around, the restrooms are not cleaned, it sends a negative impression to guests. Um, often the appearance 
of the facilities is the first impression someone has of how much the church loves God. The appearance of the facilities is the first impression someone gets of how much that church loves God. Teaching means you're ready to teach. <laughs> the teacher should be the first one to arrive, not the last. Adults don't like walking into an empty room and surely are not going to leave their kids in a room hoping some teacher is going to show up. And then one of the side notes in, in that category, it says, there's nothing worse than just not showing up and saying someone will fill in. That really tells your members and your guests how much you love God. Stewardship. Churches that cannot make budget um, tell guests and God how little they love either. One guest who happened to visit on a Sunday that the annual budget was voted on left this note on his guest card. I guess when it comes to giving at this church, some people will stop at nothing. And then you drew a little smiley face next to it. You know, um, contemporary music, direct quote. Had a good mix of song. Excellence means sharing a variety of music and the songs were picked to go along with the overall theme of the day. It takes more time, but it's important. Thank you. The video talked about the video projection system. And, you know, guests recognize that it takes um, money big money to, to, to do a good job. And a consistent comment was churches that had projection systems, all the people said people sang louder, sang better, because they didn't sing with their heads down. They sang looking forward. You know, we're grateful that we have Wayne and Amanda and Caleb that, that help us in the back so much. We're grateful that um, a year or so ago we had a number of folks um, um, make, make some sacrifices and um, help us put a new sound system in. So these aren't all negative things, folks, but I'm telling you these are the things that... that the outside world says, if you're going to be a church of excellence, all these things have to be addressed. You know, it talked about our, the greeting ministry. Um, it said people typically decide within the first three minutes whether they'll be back again. You know, and so we're, we're working on that. We, we're going to address that. But, I mean, um, it, it's a tremendous issue um, how we um, deal with some. Now, I understand all the things we've talked about. You can um, deal with them in your own personal way. And... Um, I've, I've had conversations with people, and, and, and people will, will sometimes say it to themselves. They won't say it out loud to me, but sometimes they will. But couldn't we get by without um, so many keyboards and so many guitars and, and, and instruments? Couldn't we get by without um, video projection? You know, couldn't we get by without a paved parking lot? Do we have to have padded chairs in our Sunday school? Couldn't we um, get by with only um, cleaning the building every other week? And yeah, Look, sure you could. Uh, I'm going to just tell you, absolutely, we could. But you know what? When we go down that thought, um, I just got to ask you a question. Couldn't you get by with one TV in your house? Couldn't you get by without cable? Couldn't you get by without the internet and a computer? Get by without a cell phone? Couldn't you get by by driving a truck that was a few years older or a house that was a little bit smaller? Oh, you could. But we've decided not to. The more I thought about the issue of raising the bar, <laughs> I came to another conclusion. Our generation, and that pretty much includes all of us, that's a big gamut today, but our generation has raised the bar. We have more, we go more, we do more than any other generation in history. We have raised the bar. 
So when I realized that, then I said, well, if we've raised the bar, why am I bothering to even talk about this? Oh, then the real question hit. Does God deserve our best more than we deserve to be pampered? Why'd we raise the bar? Who'd we raise the bar for? Let me just leave you with a couple verses. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Jesus himself says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And the wisest man in the world in the book of Proverbs wrote this. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. We have raised the bar. The question is, why did we raise the bar? And where did we raise the bar? Did we raise the bar for our glory or for his glory? Did we raise the bar for our sake or his sake? See, everything we'll talk about when it comes to the issue of raising the bar, really doesn't matter how high we raise the bar if we don't raise it for the right reason. We must raise the bar. But we must raise the bar for his sake and for his glory. Father, I love you and I trust you and I thank you for who you are. Father, forgive us for the times that um, we have so woefully um, raised the bar for the wrong reason. Father, sometimes um, that desire to, to have new chairs in a room has nothing to do with um, seeing that guests might come. But Father, has more to do with the fact that we just want a better chair. Father, um, sometimes um, so much of what we desire to do in church, Father, um, has more to do about our personal preference than um, raising the name of Jesus Christ above all names. Father, a lot of times, even when we work hard at work, Father, it's not that you would get the glory, and it's not because we realize that we're working for you, because we're trying to impress a boss and get a pay raise so that we can buy some more stuff. Father, in so many ways, Father, um, I've come to realize that, Father, um, we are people who's raised the bar. But, Father, far too often we've raised it for the wrong reason. So, Father, I just pray that you'd turn us back to you. That, Father, we would raise the bar, but we'd raise it for one reason and one alone. And that's so that the name of Jesus Christ could be lifted high. So that the name of Jesus Christ could be proclaimed in our community. Father, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're in this building. That, Father, the community of Watson would know that we serve the living God. That, Father, that we are here for one reason and one alone. And that's to tell the world that there is hope. That Jesus Christ has come. That Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sins. And that Jesus Christ is coming again. Father, would we be ready when that day comes? And Father, would we not alone be ready? Father, would we be a church that has made a difference because we've given our best? And Father, in giving our best, Father, we have seen the rewards. Father, we trust you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.